turn with me, if you will, by way of review of where we've been. I'm going to speak, uh, speak on the consequences or results of spirit filling uh, that we began last week, but I need to uh, justify what got us on this uh, side excursion uh, out of the book of John, and that is from John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and if you would translate another of the same kind of help as I've been giving you, I'm going away, but I'll send this other helper who will do for you what you need to have done while I'm absent from you, that he may be with you forever. Now, that's, that's comforting to the disciples because Christ says, I've only been with you in ministry three and a half years, and I'm leaving, but this one won't leave you. Then he goes on, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And so we've been taking an excursion on what is it the Holy Spirit does in believers that is of help, what help. And by way of review, we said, well, uh, he's the one that regenerates you or pulls off the new birth, as it were. He has to work in the heart and the life, so he's involved in your new birth. Titus 3, 4, and 5. Two, he immersed you into the body of Christ the moment you believed so that you became united with a new head in the sight of God. You're now seen in Christ, no longer in Adam. You're in Christ, not in Adam. Our natural birth, we were seen in Adam as a descendant. Now we are seen in this resurrected Christ. Then, uh, indwelling. He said, I will dwell in you forever. So in his indwelling ministry, uh, he's interceding for us when it comes to prayer. And uh, uh, he's there, sin or no sin. The spirit is there, grieves. We've got a real living person living in us at all times. So he, our body's called his temple, his sacred dwelling place. Uh, now, <clears throat> we've been looking at the last few weeks. He has come to fill his people, to fill them with himself. Now, where do we get this? Ephesians 5.18 says, Stop getting drunk with wine that creates a debauched or dissipated life, but rather be continually getting yourselves under the control of the Spirit. It's a command. It's continuous. It's not, I was filled. We're not talking about the was. We're talking about now. Are you filled Are you with the Spirit now? Now, filled, what is that? When you hear that word filled, uh, you think of spatial things. How, how, how can I say, uh, uh, my wife fills my heart? Well, spatially, I hope she's not in it. Wouldn't survive. Okay? So she's not spatially in my heart. She's there relationally. Uh, she has a control over my heart 
because of my great affection for her, okay? Well, let's contrast wine. You get enough wine in you, it will influence character, control what you do. And so that idea comes over to spirit filling. I want to fill you in such a way that I control and I influence your behavior. Now, there's another way it's used. It was used of supplying what was lacking. Uh, it was used that way in Philippians. Your offering supplied my lack. And I think as we look at uh, spirit filling in Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit sees so many warps and bents and crookedness in each one of us. We've got to have the Holy Spirit in us to ever produce Christ in our character. Uh, and so here he's talking to his disciples in the upper room. They're all going to bail out within 12 hours. Now he's telling them, you guys, hang out. Luke 24, stay in Jerusalem. Don't do any evangelism till I fill you. Wait till you get power from on high. Then I'm going to fill you to carry out the Great Commission. I'm going to work in you. What we see in Galatians is not great spectacular ministry happening. God's first got to change the character of a believer. And so we say, do believers, do all believers walk in the Spirit? Now, let me give you an example. Uh, a wonderful uh, church that had all the gifts, 1 Corinthians 3. Look at it. They had all the gifts, didn't they? They boasted they did. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, so their brethren, could not speak to you as, I'd say, spirit-filled men. You weren't under the control of the spirit, to spiritual. Well, how would you talk to a bunch of believers? I got to talk to you like you're a bunch of babies. To men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. And what's milk? Food that someone else has digested. I gave you, I did the work. I put out milk to you, led you to the Lord. But uh, you weren't able to receive it. And eat. right now you're not able to receive meat substance that you digest, for you are still, what's your Bible say? Fleshly. Wait, are these believers? He calls them brethren. Believers can't act fleshly. You're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. Are they in the flesh? No, but they still got the flesh in them. They're not located in the flesh. They're really in the spirit. Two categories, Romans 8, but the flesh is still in them. Well, give me some proof. Give me some proof. Glad you asked. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere natural men? For when one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not acting like mere natural men? 
like men that don't even know God. This is the explanation for many a church split right there. That uh, the church can fall in the hands of the carnal and those that want to act fleshly, and they can destroy anything. Destroy a marriage, destroy a home, destroy a church. We're dangerous if we walk after the flesh. Very dangerous. So we know there is that danger. Now let's go to Galatians. Galatians 5. And here were a people that were constantly being told, you need to go back under the law to live the Christian life. You need to get yourself circumcised. You need to obey the kosher diet laws. Always law, law, law. And Paul says something radical. The law has no place in your sanctification. What God needs is faith that works through love. Chapter 5, verse 6. And you need to walk in reliance on the Holy Spirit. God has already shown us through Israel that people living under law and rules always fail. They just can't measure up. Nothing wrong with the rule. Nothing wrong with the law. It just keeps showing us we can't do it. So God didn't save you to be defeated all the time. He didn't save you to beat you up. He says, I've offered something in the death of Christ and his finished work and the gift of the Spirit to accomplish in you what the law could never do. And what is going to be described as the defeat of fleshly attitudes and the display of the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit. That means live your life in reliance on the Spirit, and you will absolutely not carry out the strong desires of the flesh. And flesh is the sin principle within. Flesh, because that principle wants a body to manifest itself. But if you walk by means of the Spirit, you, and in Greek it's a double negative, you will ume, you will absolutely not fulfill the strong desires of the flesh. You walk in the Spirit or giving into the flesh. But the Spirit is greater than the flesh. The law is not greater than the flesh. He said that in Romans 8. But the Spirit is. I, I love the fact that George Rutenbard told me when he was at Dr. Walver's bedside when he was dying at about 93, uh, the last thing Dr. Walver said to him, his life's verse, he said, George, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he died. Uh, his life's verse changed. Uh, I cannot tell you how many defeated Christians went to Dallas to sit under Lewis Chafer because he taught the Christian life in such a way they quit being defeated, quit being defeated. So he says, walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then he tells you the flesh wars against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh. Then he described the flesh and we looked at those 15 things last week. Now, let's do a quick, brief overview of the fruit of the Spirit. What does it act like? When you're spirit-controlled, the first thing that will shout it will be in your attitude and in your heart will be the love of God will be working in you. Uh, you not only know you're loved by God, but 
fruit. Now notice he said you'll bear the fruit. It's one fruit, nine slices. You don't just bear one and the others, you know, I love you, but at the same time, I'm jealous of you. No, no, no. It can't. One fruit, the primary fruit being, that's why Jonathan Edwards wrote a great book on the charity and its fruits. 1 Corinthians 13, if I do whatever I do and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And he keeps describing this kind of love. This is where I would define it for you. Uh, the desire and delight in the well-being of the object of your love, desire and delight, to the point of self-sacrifice. Maybe the idea would be sacrificial love, certainly separated from lust. Lust, I just want it for whatever I want it for. I want it. I want it. I'll get it. Love isn't that way. Love says, I value you in such a way that I would sacrifice myself for your benefit. Then you really love like God loves. God so loved that he gave. That's the idea that comes. And what's your badge of identity? Uh, basically, I think, well, Lord, how does anyone know that I'm really a Christian? By this shall all unsaved people know that you belong to me. You will love one another. Uh, that's something interesting. I, I, I hear stuff like this every once in a while. Well, the unsaved are much easier to love than believers. I find they're easier to get along with. Maybe so. It's like saying the neighbor's kids are easier to get along with than my brother or sister. We have to live together, share the same bathroom, share the sink, and we're fussing all the time. It's not the same. Uh, a church that's growing and healthy, the, those who attend it can't be quiet about it because they love the people. They love one another. But see, once you quit loving the people, you can become critical of everything that doesn't measure up. Your kids don't have to measure up, do they, to have your love? Maybe, maybe they do in your house. God has called us. He said, I want to display my son through your body. And my son loved. He kept working with these failing men. He kept forgiving. He kept teaching. And God's love through us is that we would be willing to sacrifice on some level whatever we are, whatever we have, for the sake of the object love. So we ask you, do you love Jesus Christ? What would you sacrifice to show him you love him? Do you love your neighbor? See, just love, I can get this whole place to go totally quiet and we turn into Presbyterians. <laughs> because when they put on your epitaph, known for loving people, and loving God. Would that be on your epitaph? Are known as a short temper, uh, impatient, sassy. This, this has the love of God. And when you're walking by the Spirit, you can't lust for anybody. You can't steal anything. 
He says in Galatians and Romans, love is the fulfillment of everything the law ever demanded. If we just love one another, I don't need the Decalogue to tell me not to commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder. It wouldn't even enter my mind if I'm walking in love. And the Spirit makes him free to produce this attitude of mind constantly. Second, he causes me to have joy. Now, joy can be translated uh, happiness, but let me give you the difference between spirit-filled joy and the joy of the world. If you knew this Friday you were going to get a $10,000 bonus, you most likely could work up a little joy. Uh, but what it is, that's the kind of happiness based upon happenings. And divine joy is not based upon happenings. It's based solely on God, solely on his provision, who you know him to be. Because there's something uh, uh, in our emotional life, uh, I don't know if we're stereophonic, quadraphonic, but uh, I, I read Paul in Romans 10. I have unceasing sorrow for Israel after the flesh. Well, wait, 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 Paul. You just told me in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Which is it? It's both. See, you can have an unspeakable joy while you're going through the sorrow of a painful child-parent rent. You could be losing everything. May have a foreclosure going on. You can have all kinds of earthly sorrows going on while at the same time a strata in your being is all is well. I have joy in the Lord. I'm not free from bad circumstances, finances, health, relationships, circumstances. This is not a joy based on circumstance. Paul and Silas are singing in jail at the midnight hour. What a time to have a hymn sing. Can you sing? Can you sing when everything's going down? Can you do up when a man doesn't know what to do and you've lost everything? Would you say, you know the most logical thing we ought to do in light of these ten children dying? Let's get on our knees and worship God. Would that be your response? I want to bow and say, God, you gave me my children, and you can take them. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this is pre-Swindoll. This is pre-Abraham. This is pre-owning a Bible. This is pre-church. There's nobody back there to comfort Job. Where did he get enough theology in him that when tragedy hits, it's the time for me to worship. And that's what E.V. Hill said he did when he was at the hospital and they said his wife, babe, was, was going to make it. He said he went into that chapel right there and he simply prayed, Lord, you give and you take away. You gave me babe, as he called her. You took her away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is a joy based upon this deep, settled relationship you have with Christ not on circumstances. 
It's there when your heart is breaking. It's indescribable. That's what Philippians said. It will be a peace, as he goes on to peace, that passes all understanding. Third thing, he, he produces peace in us. And uh, peace is the idea of an unruffled mind, non-anxious. Uh, there's peace with God that comes when you know you're justified, that you're right with God based on the work of Christ. That's one thing. Then, isn't it amazing? You can have this amazing peace with God and come over here and you got an overdue bill of $75 that you don't have the money to cover and worry yourself to death. Because one's peace with God, the other is the peace of God, subjectively. And peace is the idea of a sense of enough. Uh, all that I need is taken care of. Uh, I'm in the protective care of God. I heard it illustrated one time. It's not freedom from the storm, but it's like the bird that it's built its nest in the cliff of the rock and that it's safe in the storm. Peaceful life is not a life free from storms. It's not a life, you know, that's never having heartbreak. Not at all. We're talking, Carol and I, with a couple last week whose son wrote them off uh, several years back and the pain in this couple, uh, not being able to heal a relationship with a son in their 30s and not being able to bring about any reconciliation, the pain in them, and yet at the same time to have the peace of God. For these to be, so not everything goes right. I think of a, one of our sisters fighting for her life, and the Clark family just keeps going on because God can give peace in the midst of the storm uh, so that we run to him, we lean on the Spirit, and we run and do what he says, pray about it. I'm prompting you to pray. Sometimes God would never hear from any of us if we never worried. It's the only time we find out you haven't showed up lately. He lets worry grow in us, and it grows until you're immobilized. You've you got to run to him. Then he said long-suffering. I don't like this one at all. It means uh, to hold out a long time the mind in response to people and events. It's pro primarily people to hold out, you know, short temper, long temper. It's the holding out of the mind a long time, primarily with people. Uh, steadfastness under provocation. I just not quick to respond to negative behavior, um, human failure. Just long suffering. Uh, I don't know about you, I'm not patient by nature. I want it, I ask God, please provide it and hurry. Uh, I mean, uh, Carol and I learned to take separate cars to church for years because I was the great husband that left her with three girls. And I said, I'll see you at church. Uh, because I want to be there on time. I want to be ahead. I want to pray with men. Uh, and in my marriage, the early days, just the silly stuff that you go through waiting for her was so hard. 
I just, let's go. Let's, let's get, go. You know, speed is the measure of everything. <laughs> speed. And uh, so by the time we got there, we were both so mad at each other, we might as well have stayed home. <laughs> but speed, got to go. Boom, boom. And God says, when you're dealing with people, uh, it's what pastoring's all about. Some of the people in this church we've been dealing with for 20 years, and some of them I'm still looking for Christ. Uh, our people don't grow like you want. Second, Timothy told uh, Timothy, hey, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. People come in to me, they'll tell me, boy, your people don't know much. You're right. Your people don't do this. You're right. Your people seem to get, you're right. And I noticed God hadn't called you to pastor our people. <laughs> we suffer long. Hoping some of you get it. And we cry when you find Genesis. And that's okay. We're, we're, just, we're here to suffer long. With one another, people get it. Have you ever seen people, you just don't get it very quick, do you? No, I don't. Tech. I was saved before tech. They had rotary phones when I grew up. I typed my doctor's thesis on an IBM computer. I typed it. You hear that? That were type. Young people, T-Y-P-E. <laughs> and no whiteout. Get out of here with whiteout. I was the whitey. And I had to go back and do the whole page over if I didn't do it right. A lot of things we don't get. And working with people will drive you batty. Don't marry one. <laughs> don't beget some. People need long suffering. And what you don't know, wait, wait, wait this is, they've been suffering with you. You didn't know that was coming, did you? <laughs> Carolyn, look the other way. <laughs> See, God knew I needed mercy, so he gave me my wife. She said, you need mercy. I said, you're right. I can't tell you. I mean, my family raising me with uh, crutches, braces, and all the physical things. Wow. Oh, the love, the patience, the help. Uh, God gave me a great family to grow up in as an afflicted boy because they were kind and long-suffering. Some folks just don't have it. You know, well, boy, this child isn't normal. No, he's not. What are you going to do with him? Well, our child's only a C-minus student. What are you going to do with him? We're going to keep reminding them that they didn't make the honor roll, or are you going to keep saying you're worth suffering with? You're worth working with. We don't like that in America because grades and brains, that means everything, you know. That's what you're worth. That's why God saved you. He saw your IQ. <laughs> no, he came over a cabbage patch, and there we were. <laughs> and you hope he was thinking of us and not the cabbage. No, not many great, not many noble, not many impressive 
the kindness, and God has been long-suffering toward every one of us. He said, I'm going to produce that in you towards others. Uh, it's, it's there. It's Christ-likeness. He goes on, kindness. Uh, now, this word, you want to get this word, kindness, it literally is, um, get this now, and, and then just look at the one next to you and see if you can say this about them. Are you ready? It means sweetness of temperament that puts others at ease. I don't see you looking. So I don't know who that is. Sweetness of temperament that puts others at ease. Have you ever seen a person come into a party or group and it was like an ox in a china closet? Or, you know, you just, man, this thing, this is going to get so rowdy because you just showed up. Or to watch how children act around people, rough and boom and boom and all that. I just, who I am, oh, get over it. The Spirit of God wants to make us kind people. And uh, let me give you some usages of that word. The word kind here was used of mellow wine. Uh, they'll call it smooth wine. The bite, the bitter is taken out of it. Uh, and get this, Christ said, if you get in my yoke, in my yoke, you'll learn to be this kind of person, kind or gentle. They use interchangeable. And I'll teach you how to be humble. That is, if you're in my yoke. That's amazing that God had to come all the way from the third heaven and say, I'm holding class in a yoke where you learn two things so I can tell if you've been yoked up with Christ, you become kind and you become humble. The proud man isn't wearing his yoke. The unkind person isn't in his yoke. You can't hang out with Jesus without developing a tenderness and kindness towards others. He tenderizes us. I, I mean, you see grown men who will weep. You see grown men give their money to send a kid to a camp. You see uh, people doing, they can't imagine the kindness of God is being produced in their life. Um, I always pick on him, and I use him different times uh, because of Ron Hughes. I don't think anybody would accuse him of being uh, uh, a weak little uh, guy around here. He's, he's pretty threatening most of the time, uh, kind of like Grant Pinkston, these guys. You know, uh, you want, you're looking for trouble, you come to the right place. Doom. And, uh, but, What's amazed me is for 15 years, he teaches three- and four-year-olds. And uh, I've had different grandchildren with him. I've got a great-grandson. They love Ron Hughes. That's amazing. You know what? It's because he's kind. He's kind. That roughness and toughness is for those that want to be threatening. The kindness comes out to little guys that need a tender touch. It's hard to find a man that can do that. Uh, I heard a line years ago, it scares me. We seldom win people to Christ that we cannot win to ourselves. Said, I'd, I'd like to know Christ, but you're so obnoxious, I don't see him as attractive. See, we got to deal, 
the fruit of the Spirit has to be being born. And, and what is fruit, by the way? Fruit is life on display. Fruit is life on display. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, false prophets will rise up. But then he said, but you will know them by their fruit. You will know by what they produce. And so all of our lives, our children, our family, our business associates, whatever, they all know the life that we're living by the fruit we're putting out. And uh, this is supernatural. Goodness is, comes from a Greek word to benefit. People that are good, uh, they're looking for a way to benefit you. It's from a Greek word, agathos, to render a benefit. So goodness is, I'm going to render a benefit. Faith, uh, there's debate. He will bear the fruit of faith or faithfulness. I think it's faithfulness, reliability, because we couldn't even get under the control of the Spirit unless we were relying, exercising faith. But people of faith become faithful. They become reliable. You can trust them to stay with the program. And you know what? It's one of the hardest things we find in church work is people that can be reliable, people that aren't uh, uh, bailing out all the time, people that can build a class, people that can pioneer something instead of inheriting everything. Wait on me. I, it's all about me. Hey, could you ever be trusted by God for, first of all, with the gospel? God has entrusted the gospel to us. Can God trust us to get it out? Big question. But here, this word, the fruit of the Spirit, produces faithfulness, reliability. And you'll see people just doing the will of God year after year, doing this year after year. What is it? It's the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit that when it gets to be hard work, in season, out of season, they just, they just stay with the stuff. And Paul said, I thank God that he trusted me enough that he put me in the ministry, that he gave me the gospel, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1. I thank God he put trust in me. And I think that's what we all will have to answer when we stand before Christ. Did we keep the trust? Are you keeping and doing what God's asked you to do? Uh, or are you just asleep in church? Is it just a game you're playing? Well, uh, God knows exactly where you are. He says he produces the fruit of uh, meekness or gentleness. And that word there means tame spirit. It was used of an animal that had been tamed uh, to bridle the horse. Uh, it meant to be teachable in James. A teachable man is considered gentle. Uh, tame or meek, it's a hard word to get a handle on. It was used, it came into our language uh, by use of terms used of things that were mild or soothing, soothing medicine, uh, tame animals. And it was just the opposite of rough, hard, uh, violent, angry. Uh, some defined it, the quiet and friendly composure 
which does not become embittered or angry at what is unpleasant, whether in the form of people or fate. They're meek. He was meek and lowly. Learn of me. I, I'm under control. I, I'm of a mild and a gentle spirit. And uh, I don't know that I embrace that, that easily. Uh, I just, because uh, he said in 2 Timothy 2, when people oppose you as false teachers, be gentle with those who oppose. This is the word. Can you be gentle? I think growing up in the Bay Area, growing up with a psyche that uh, guys are going to mess with you and you're going to school, not just get an education, but to survive and to get home intact. So you, you develop an outlook on others that's being threatening. Threatening. Be careful. Cover your back. Be sure you can get out of this situation. And then you get this word like this, be meek. I said, are you saying be weak? Are you saying get killed? No. I'm saying be tame in spirit. Be soothing, as it were, to other people. A kind word turns away wrath. It's a product that puts Christ on display. Christ on display. Christ. You say, it's just the opposite of me. Why, sure. You didn't think he'd duplicate more of you. No. And then, uh, you know, it's like, I see a lot of saints are like a porcupine. They got a lot of good points. You just can't get close to them. They're not, uh, they're not uh, tame. I've known guys ever since seminary. Uh, they're no fun to talk to unless you have a debate. They don't know how to affirm. They don't know how to put at ease. They don't want to put you at ease. Uh, I, I've been at pastor's conferences where you better go in like that. Because everything you think you believe may be questioned. And you've got to prove it. You've got to do this and that. Well, sometimes you are in a battle and you have to prove your point. But basically, our Christian character is to put Christ on display. And he finally says self-control. Uh, if anything's out of control today, it's our culture. I mean, we got an out-of-control culture. Uh, lust is out of control, uh, uh, drugs are out of control, sex is out of control, drink is out of control, young people out of control, parents are out of control, the government's out of control, we're going to be out of money pretty soon, everything's out of control. Who has any control and will not blame for what they do? Where uh, no discipline, uh, and this was used of the body, control, sexual appetite, food appetite, everything we do with the body, it was primarily used that way. Where is self-control that's really coming from the spirit's control? And uh, are you under control? Is the spirit in control of you? Are your appetites under his supervision? Uh, we usually go to sex on this. Uh, because it's used in 1 Corinthians 6 and other verses. But uh, I think, of, uh, isn't it a weird thing uh, in our culture to uh, the obesity that's growing in our country, and, and yet uh, here they're trying to get all the sugar out of our diet, trying to get all this white flour out of our diet, 
We're eating everything that is keeping us fat and unhealthy. And we've got believers just as bad. And just say, God bless this food that may kill me. Please bless this sugar and white flour and icing and frosting and this salt I just put on the table. I, I mean, between Fran's brothers, I need to smack him. Carolyn, every time I eat salt, I say, like, oh, you don't eat salt. I know what I need. Get out of here. <laughs> could, could God ever take it back to what you eat? Or even exercise, you know. I love to join the Y. It feels good paying for the dues. <laughs> I forgot what the equipment looks like. Every treadmill we have, we turned it into a clothesline. <laughs> hung, hung clothes on it. I mean, self-control. Uh, Howard Andrews used to talk about uh, the reason guys don't have a prayer life in the morning, he would say they, don't, they can't get blanket victory. They don't know how to get up early enough. And if you read about George Whitfield and Wesley's, they had a whole system when they were in Oxford where certain bells and things would go off because they'd get up about 4.30 and pray in England. And they had all this system to wake them up, waterfall on them, everything. Some of you need to trigger a system that Niagara can fall on you about, <laughs> about 6 o'clock and have that beginning time in the morning. Self-control. I can't go to bed before one at night, and so I'm too tired for devotions in the morning. You have no self-control. Why do you keep watching stuff that's bad for you? Why are you watching that junk? Oh, uh, how, how much news do you need to be good and depressed? How much news do you need every day? I guarantee you haven't read through your Bible. If you're full of news, you're not reading your Bible. I spent two hours watching CNN, Fox, this, that. Okay, why don't you watch Isaiah? Why don't you watch Matthew? He knows how it's going to end. There ain't nobody at Fox that knows how it's going to end. What you doing with the Bible? I don't, I, man, I don't get it. What do you mean you don't get it? Well, I don't understand Revelation. I asked that woman, when did you read it? I've never read it. <laughs> it's hard to get something you don't ever read. My nephew taught me recently, Matthew, uh, or Marty Howard was telling me, my dad used to tell him when he was in ironwork, he said, son, you've got to get next to it. If you're going to learn something, you've got to get next to it. I never heard that. And some of you, be nice to get next to it. And when you start living your life, he said, walk in the Spirit. In verse 25, take each individual step where the Spirit steps. Now, let me tell you how this happens. Temptation will come to you. You'll be tempted to maybe hate. You'll be tempted to uh, someone's cussed you, cut you off. You want to come back as strong as the offense. He said, the Spirit, if you walk in the direction of the Spirit, He will let you step into kindness, goodness. You'll step in love, but they just, they just flipped you off on the freeway. When are you going to quit being controlled by what others do to you? 
I cannot control what happens to me. I'm in charge of how I respond. That's spirit filling. I love the line my dad used to tell us of old Brother Brown, our black preacher friend in Berkeley, down on the streets of Berkeley. Someone came up and said, he's a blind preacher. said, I hate you, nigger. That's what they told him. Here he's up, full of years, lost his eyes. And old Brother Brown said, well, I'm so glad I don't have to hate you back. Sound like Jesus was on that block. And some of you say, I'm going to take that from him. <laughs> Cut it out. If you war after the flesh, you'll die. Peter, put your sword away. He who lives by this is going to die by it. Kid was telling me lately, man, it's hard to get off the drug scene. You can make so much quick money. I said, yeah, you'll need to make enough to pay for your funeral. They don't last too long. Walk in the Spirit. You don't know which way to walk. Just look at those nine. Is this walking towards hate, revenge, or goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, joy, peace? Ooh, I don't want to love them right now, Lord. But, but she's your wife. She's the mother of your eight children. But, Lord, she forgot how to cook, and she's getting ugly. Well, how are you looking? You know, you ate. We went to the 50th high school graduation. Carolyn wanted to go. I didn't want to get depressed. I'm telling you, we, when we went there, I want to tell you, we didn't know our generation looked so old. <laughs> We've escaped it pretty good. I'd see guys and man, you look old and ugly. And the guy said, well, I'm 68. I said, oh, man, I'm older than you, but I've retained something. <laughs> Where are you walking? Are you, can you say, the Spirit is directing my steps? The Spirit is directing my steps. If you don't walk in dependence on the Spirit, what comes out will not be fruit. It'll be the flesh. So John Walbert at 93, often accused of teaching so much grace that you can live like the devil and be okay. And yet his last words is, I've never, he didn't say this, I've never stolen the money in 65 years that he was at Dallas. I'm still with the same woman I married. I'm still preaching the same Bible. I, you can't lay a hand on me because God's kept me. And George, I just want you to know the Spirit's the only answer. He's kept. He's led. He's enabled. He's filled up all my character deficiencies with himself. Let me tell you, young people, with all the temptations hitting you, all the temptations to destroy you, the Holy Spirit in a 13-year-old's body, 12-year-old, he's bigger than temptation. He's stronger than temptation because God has promised you, 
I will not allow you to be tested beyond my ability to deliver you. And if you, when Carolyn and I were sitting there last night, we looked at each other. God let us do it his way, even in high school. That's what we want for you. We don't want sin to have your body any longer than it's already had it. May Christ be Lord in your life, and you'll be delivered from a thousand pits that will destroy you. Amen? We ought to be praying for our young people.